A few weeks ago, I shared with you some interesting names. Uh, we talked a, bit, a little bit about the significance of names, and uh, I want to share a similar with, list with you today, just to kind of give you uh, a couple of names that, that similar but different origin, not from the same source, uh, but some actual names that individuals chose to name their children, which is amazing uh, when you hear some of these names. I'll just read a few of them for you. The first one, kid's first name, Jed, middle initial I, last name Knight, Jedi Knight. Someone named their child Jedi Knight. You know, if you're thinking, if you're, if you're having a child, maybe some of these will inspire you. Someone else actually named their child Jurassic Park. <laughs> there was a news correspondent, I kid you not, news correspondent by the name of Matthew Correspondent. I think he was destined for that field. A wedding announcement, no joke, you've seen some of these, I'm sure, but a wedding announcement, two last names, McDonald Burger. The McDonald Burger wedding. Another guy named Chris, middle initial P, Bacon, Crispy Bacon. It was a lawyer, another, you know, some names you just destined for a future in that profession. A lawyer, her name was Sue H.U., Sue U, if you want to see a lawyer. A clinical neurologist, a neurology book uh, named Lord, the, the guy that wrote it, Lord Brain. I'm guessing he was a lord of some sort, but Lord Brain, that again, Destin. If you're feeling sick, you can go see this doctor. His name is Ken Hurt. You can go see Dr. Hurt if you are feeling sick. You know, names. We've talked about names recently. We've talked about the significance of names, and names are significant. Uh, even though in our culture we, we don't tend to place a whole lot of, uh, of thought into the names that we choose, they still mean something. In other cultures, in biblical times, we've talked about how much thought they did put into choosing names for their children. Names were significant. They represented a person's character, their identity. It was all wrapped up in their names. Um, you look at... A quote from Shakespeare, uh, Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. And of course, that's true, but when you hear the name rose, what do you think? You think of the smell of a rose. You think of the beauty of a rose. It represents what it is. And that's the case with us. When you think of somebody's name, you think of what you know about them. You think of their character. And for all of us, that's true. That is certainly true with the names of Jesus, the names of the Messiah. And that's the basis of our series that we're starting today called The Names of Jesus. We're going to talk about the significance of the names of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this is the basis for this new series that we're in called The Names of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to turn there. Uh, and read along with me. We'll read just those two verses. This is going to be our passage that will be the foundation for our series over the next four weeks. We'll look at the different names represented here. Beginning in verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, the dominion will be vast, 
and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Again, this is Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah. It is the names given to the coming Messiah when this was written. And of course, we know him to be Jesus. And so these names are the names attributed to Christ. And each name carries with it significance. Today, we're going to look at the name Wonderful Counselor. When we say we're asking the question, what's in a name? So what is the significance of the name Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean to us? What does that mean in how Jesus relates to us, ministers to us, provides for us? So we'll ask that question. What does Wonderful Counselor, the name, tell us about the character of Christ? Well, for one, it tells us that Jesus' character is full of wonder. His character is full of wonder. Now, you just think about the fact that Jesus, God became man, entered this world as a human being, the God of the universe. That in and of itself is a miracle. Who he is as God and man is a miracle. And all we can really do is wonder about it. Look again at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Let's break that down. A child is born. This represents his humanity. The fact that he was born as a human being, this phrase, unto us a child is born, reminds us of the fact that he is a human. He is the son of man, which again emphasizes his humanity. Unto us a son is given. That represents his deity. I mean, he is the Godhead He is in in human form, but fully God at the same time. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. We read that in Colossians 2.9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. His, His very presence is a miracle. The fact that God, fully God, fully man, could dwell in the same body is a miracle in and of itself. When we think about who he is as God and man, it's amazing. His character is amazing. He came to earth. He was willing to come to earth. There was a story I, I, I kept, a news story from a few years back, New York City. It was Christmas time, and, and uh, like many people do, including uh, ministries at this church, uh, they, there were some individuals providing through a church in New York, providing meals for some families in need at Thanksgiving. And these families, these individuals, they did it a little bit different. These, these individuals that were donating for this meal, they set it up to where they would pay $100 to have candlelight meals at a church with the homeless people that they were serving. Now, on the surface, that sounds like you know, letting the left hand know what the right hand was doing. But, but the purpose of the ministry was not that. The purpose was the people helping those individuals got to meet them face-to-face and share a meal with them. So that they could actually meet the people that they were helping, whose lives they were changing, that they were ministering to. The purpose of which being building relationships with them. Now think about that. $100 is a lot. But it's nothing compared to the price Jesus paid to meet us face to face. For one thing, he left heaven. Think about that. He, God, left the glories of heaven, setting aside some of his divine attributes as God willfully doing that. 
He set aside those things to come to earth. Sinful earth. The glories of heaven for sinful earth. That's a pretty big price to pay. And that was just the beginning. He would ultimately give his life. But he did it so that he could get a close-up view of the lives of the people that he was going to change. I mean, God knows everything, but, but he became human so he could experience life with us in that sense and, and then ultimately pay the price for our sin. He came from glory to humanity. That in and of itself is a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle that he could, he can do that, but that he was willing to do that. We see a great description of this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Make your own attitude that of Christ, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. He emptied himself of some of his divine attributes. He gave some of those up for the time being. He became a man, likeness of a man, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he gave up heaven. That was a pretty big price, but then he would give his life. He would die the most brutal death known to man, suffering before he died. He did it so that we could be saved. He paid an incredible price to come to earth. He gave up the glories of heaven. He set aside his attributes. He gave his life. You know, there are, 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 are times in my life, and I'm sure your life, where individuals have gone out of their way to minister to you, to do something on a personal level. Um, I, and when I was in high school, my grandmother on my dad's side of the family passed away, and I, I was pretty close to the minister of music at our church at that time. And and uh, I was at home by myself. My parents were taking care of some things uh, related to the funeral, the, the arrangements with my granddad. And our minister of music came. I saw him coming down the street. We lived on a dead-end street. Only time anybody ever came down that street was either they were lost or they were coming to see us. And uh, I saw him. I recognized his car. I met him at the door. First thing out of my mouth was, Brother Steve, Mom and Dad are not here. And he said, I'm not here to see them. I'm here to see you. And I... I was just kind of blown away for a minute. He said, I just came to make sure you were okay. And he spent about 20, 30 minutes with me, just talking, praying with me. And I was blown away by that, that he would come. He had talked to my parents. They told him that I, that I was at home, and he came just to, just to hang out with me for a little bit. That, that, to me, made an impression because he didn't have to do that. I mean, I would have never thought anything had he not done that. But he did that, and in doing that... He was being Jesus to me, right? He was coming to me to minister to me when he didn't have to do that. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came to us. He didn't have to do that. I mean, there was nothing forcing him to give up heaven and come to earth to become one of us to meet the greatest need we would ever have. But he did that. He came to us. And it is a miracle. The, the entire story of Jesus coming to earth is a story of grace, and it is a miracle story of grace, an incredible story of grace. And I, I, I feel like, listen, I want to be, you know, this is a joyful time of year. I don't want to give you a guilt trip, make you feel bad, but, but I do feel like we tend to get a little too comfortable with the story of Christmas, don't you? I mean, we just get a little bit too comfortable with a story that is, I'm going to repeat it again, God becoming man. When you think about that, I mean, the grace in and of itself 
is enough to occupy our minds for all of eternity. But the miracle of God becoming man, the grace and the mercy that's wrapped up in that, I, I think we need a fresh perspective on the story of Christmas, on the story of our Savior becoming man so that we could be rescued from sin and death. He is fully man, and we, but we don't need to forget He's also fully God. We need a reminder of His humanity, that's important, but we also need a reminder of His majesty, that He is divine, He is God. He is fully man, but He is also fully God. He is Emmanuel, and that literally means He is God with us. God become flesh. We need to remember who He is as God. Matthew one twenty three. see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is with us. That's a reference to Isaiah seven fourteen. He is God become flesh. We don't need to forget his deity, that he is God. The existence of Jesus incarnate, I mean, it's mind-boggling. It's enough to make your head spin when you think about it, because we can't wrap our minds around the truth of God in human form. But it is nonetheless true. It is absolutely 100% fact, but it is also absolutely 100% miracle. He, he, you know, the part of the fact that he became man is part of what makes him our wonderful counselor. We also know that Jesus' concern is full of wonder. We've talked about his character. Let's talk about his concern. I mean, what drove him to do what he did? What drove him to become man? What drove him to do what he did while he was man? Well, his concern. It's the concern of a faithful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. What does that mean when we talk about him as counselor? Well, we have great need for a counselor as sinful human beings. Why? Well, let's talk about the specific reasons why we need a counselor. And we do. We need counsel. Uh, Our minds are are not up to the task of figuring out the things of God and knowing what we need to know and doing what we're supposed to do on our own. We have, for one thing, we have lying hearts. We cannot trust our own hearts. We need someone to instruct us because we are sinful and our hearts will lie to, to, to us. Uh, we see that. Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? And I've mentioned this before, but a popular phrase of the day to support some of the lifestyle choices of individuals is the phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants. Have you ever heard that? You've heard that, I'm sure. Well, the heart does want what it wants. I will not deny that. The problem is if you submit to the word of God, the heart is deceitful above all else. My heart will tell me it wants a lot of things that I should not have. You can't trust your heart because just like the rest of you, your heart is sinful. Desires that we have can be sinful. Uh, Desires that we have that God gives us, Satan will tempt us to meet those desires in ways that we shouldn't. Honoring God-given desires in ways that are not God-given. That's sin. And so we, we need counsel. We need someone to show us how to take those desires that we have and interpret them in light of what God's Word says is true and tells us is true. How do we meet those desires? Are those desires, should we have them? Should we meet those desires? The things that we want, we need counsel. And Jesus offers that counsel. 
We cannot trust our hearts. We also have limited minds. I mean, one of the reasons we need counsel is simply because we, we're, we are finite in our knowledge. We don't know all there is to know. I mean, some of us are smarter than others, but none of us are perfect in our knowledge. And so we need counsel. We need counsel from someone who knows more than us. Thomas Fuller said this. He said, despise not counsel. A man is never nearer to ruin than when he trusts too much in his own wisdom. Now, I've met some people who are incredibly wise. Years of experience, just high IQ, knowledge that they've gained, naturally smart. But no one is as wise as the creator of the universe. No one is as wise as God. So I don't care how smart any of us are, we all need counsel. We all need wisdom. None of us should depend solely on our own wisdom. We need the counsel of someone who knows more. And the only way that we can get that counsel is from the person who knows it all. Isaiah 55.8. God tells us, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could ever imagine. If you believe God's word as I do, that on the surface is a troubling statement. And here's what I mean by that. If I believe God's word, and I do, that means that, that, that I cannot, on my own, I cannot understand God. The reason that's troubling is because I want to know God, don't you? I want to know him personally. I want to know him more every day. So on my own, according to Isaiah, God, his words through Isaiah, I cannot know God on my own. But that, that statement stops being troubling when I realize Christ's role as the wonderful counselor. Because if we want to know the mind of God... If we want to know the ways of God, we can't figure that out on our own. But Jesus says, it's okay because I'm going to stand in the gap for you. I'm going to reveal he is the revelation of God the Father. Through his word, through the Holy Spirit, God reveals himself to us. No, we can't know the mind of God in our own abilities. But yes, we can know the mind of God and the ways of God through Christ, our Savior. Through the Holy Spirit living in and through us, counseling us. Daily, we desperately need a counselor because our minds are limited. And not only that, we face a lethal enemy. We need a counselor because the enemy that we face, we went through that series on the armor of God, spiritual warfare. It's real. It's every day. We don't see it, but it's, we feel the effects of it every day. And we cannot face the enemy on our own, in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need the weapons of warfare that he provides. We need to know how to use those weapons. And the only way we know that is that Jesus shows us how to do that. He counsels us daily through his word, instructing us on which weapon to take up in which situation and what we need, equipping us, empowering us with what we need to fight in this war every day. We are, we are at battle every single day, and we can't do it on our own. So we desperately need our counselor to show us how to fight. The apostle Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone, anyone he can devour. If you let your guard down, you will be that someone. We need counsel. It's scary. We have to face a, a, an enemy, a formidable enemy with limited minds. Think about this, with limited minds and lying hearts. 
We can't even trust ourselves. And we've got this enemy that we have to face that knows us better than we know ourselves in some ways. So what do we do? Well, we depend on Christ. It's okay. Yes, we have limited minds. Yes, we have lying hearts. But it's okay because Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He defends us in the face of the enemy. He counsels us on how to fight back, on how to avoid him. He gives us a way of escape when we're confronted with temptation. And his counsel is good because he lived among us. He knows us. He knows what we face. He knows our sorrow. He knows our joy. As as the writer of Hebrews assures us in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way, as we are yet was without sin. Pantjali, who was actually the father father of of modern yoga, has, has a good quote that I found several years ago. He said, when we're confronted with problems, the counsel of someone who has mastered similar problems can be of great help. And that's true, right? I mean, when you, you face a problem, I know to this day, I still, you know, I'm, I'm working on something around the house. I, I hit a wall. I call my dad because chances are he's dealt with it before. You know, dad, how, did, how do I fix this? What, what do you, you got any advice? Life situations. Talk to him. Talk to somebody else that's been there, that's done that. We have those people in our lives. Hopefully you do. I hope you do. Somebody that you can go to for advice, for counsel. And that, that, that statement is 100% true. And if we believe that, how much more true is it that Jesus is the perfect counselor? You're talking about somebody that's been there and done that. I mean, he knows all there is to know already, but not only that, he became human and experienced all that we've experienced. Maybe not specific situations that we face today, but he experienced heartache, he experienced pain, he experienced exhaustion, he experienced suffering, physical pain, emotional pain, everything more than you and I could ever imagine. He experienced it all, and he did it without sinning. So he knows what it's like. He knows what it feels like. But then beyond that, he knows what it takes to face those situations without succumbing to temptation. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what we need, and he has, gives, us, gives available to us what we need, equips us with what we need to live in this world without sinning. He is our wonderful counselor because he's been here. He knows what we're going through. So where do we find his counsel? Well, we find it in his words. His wisdom and his counsel are perfect because they're complete. His word is complete. The the complete, inerrant word of God. And he gives it to us as instruction, as counsel, showing us how to live from day to day. It's flawless. Psalm 33:11 tells us the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. His word is perfect. His counsel is perfect. And we also find counsel not only in his words, but in his works, what he does for us. Think about it. What does he do for us? Well, the four P's, prayer, patience, Power, patience, and presence. The four P's. He prays for us. He's our intercessor. He stands at the right hand of God making intercession for us constantly, interceding for us. He makes his power available to us. He works in and through us, and he gives us his power if we depend on him. He's patient with us because we're stubborn, and we sin, and we mess up. Even when we've learned something, we tend to make that mistake again, but he's patient with us. He continues to work on us, to chip away at the flesh, as we submit to him more and more every day, and then he's present with us. He's with us. He, he, yeah, he's in heaven, but the Holy Spirit lives in us. 
He is present with us. That's what he does for us. And so he's here with us, working in and through us, seeing what we see, facing what we face every single day. And that's why his counsel is perfect and good. That's why he's a wonderful counselor, because of what he does for us. The author of Hebrews talks about the ministry of intercession, Christ's ministry of intercession in Hebrews 7.25 when he tells us, Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for us. It's not like he's off in some distant place doing something. He's going to come back later. Yes, he's going to come back later. But right now, this moment, he's busy interceding for us, working for us, working in us, working through us continually. We have the Holy Spirit, too, which Christ gives us to enable us, to enrich us, to encourage us to enlarge our territory, to show us where we can serve Him and equip us for service. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, living in us, working through us. In addition, we find His wonderful counsel and His will. He has a will for all of us, and it's good and it's perfect. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. He has a will for each of us, and His will, whether you know it or not, is what's best for you. God has a perfect plan for all of us. He created you with purpose. He had a purpose for you before he ever formed you in your mother's womb. And it's a good plan. And it's good for you. It's perfect for you. The only way we can know that, what he wants from us and where he wants us to go in life, is by listening to his counsel. He is a wonderful counselor. And I'm going to illustrate that for us. Eli's going to help me this morning. He's been dying to help me with an illustration. So he's going to come on. Come on, buddy. Come on up. We practiced this yesterday. He's ready to go. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Good deal. All right, bud. Come over here. Come hold the string. Here you go. Grab that end. All right. Face this way. All right. Eli's going to help me. We're talking about counsel and we all need direction in life, right? We all need someone to give us direction because... If we don't have direction, we, don't, we won't know where to go. Now, I even got Christmas-colored balloons. Y'all like that? We're going to talk about direction. Well, here's the problem. Here's what usually happens. We need counsel. We need guidance in life. Usually, though, or not, maybe not usually, but a lot of the times, we make the mistake of relying on our own guidance system inside. We try to live life trusting in our own instincts, our own wisdom, and we just read how dangerous that can be. And it can be very dangerous because here's what happens. All right, you ready? All right, if we depend on our own guidance system, internal guidance system, let's say Eli is where we want to go. He, he's the goal, all right? You the goal? You ready? We're going to go with our own guidance system. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Didn't reach the target, right? <laughs> it's not going to make it. Now, I could do that a thousand times, and maybe by chance it would get to him once. Um, I think the last time I did this illustration, it did just that, because <laughs> that's what happens. But, but it's not going to get to where it's supposed to go. We're relying on our own guidance system, so we need something else to guide us, and that's where the string comes in. I'm going to need mom's help too, all right? All right, so we've tried our own guidance system, and we were left off in the ditch somewhere. We didn't make it, okay? All right, hold on tight. 
Got to hold on tight. So now we're going to depend on something else. We're going to use, we're going to depend, we're going to pretend this represents, got to hold it tight, okay? We're going to pretend this represents our lives and this represents our wonderful counselor, our guidance. If we trust in Christ for guidance, we'll see what happens. Okay, so now we've got a guidance system other than ourselves. Are you ready? You got it tight. You ready? All right, here goes. Let's see what happens. Bingo to the target. All right, buddy. All right, man. All right, good job. All right, go with mommy. <laughs> he did a good job, didn't he? Left to ourselves, we will wander through life, never reaching our target. We can't do it on our own. Scripture's clear about that. Limited minds, lying hearts, we can't even trust ourselves. We can wander through life aimlessly or... We can give our lives to Christ and submit to him daily, assuring, having the assurance of knowing that, yeah, life's not going to be easy. There's going to be some bumps along the way. There'll be a few detours even. But when we get to the end, we can know that we will have reached our target because of his good counsel, through his word, through his presence in our lives, direction daily, comfort, assurance, all of those things. Our wonderful counselor makes sure we have what we need to get to where he wants us to be. His character, who he is, it means so much to us. His counsel is so very good. And his commitment to us is also full of wonder. I mean, he, he, when we think about what he has done, but also the commitment that he's made to us on our behalf. It's, his commitment is, is just that of the counselor I just described. All of those characteristics describe his commitment to us. For one thing, his love for us is everlasting. He, he will always love us, always has, always will. First John 13, verse 1. We see before the festival, the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he tells us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. His love is perfect. And it's everlasting. And his commitment, his dedication is eternal. His determination is eternal. You know, it's one thing to say that Jesus loves us. And he does. I mean, that, that's huge in and of itself. But when you match that with his commitment, his eternal commitment and his dedication, his faithfulness, when you pair all that, when you put all that together, that in and of itself is a miracle. His coming to earth, his dying for our sins, miracle. His perfect love, his steadfast love, his dedication, also a miracle. Look at John 10, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, my sheep respond to my voice, and I know who they are. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. They will never be lost, and no one will tear them away from me. And if you, if, let me translate that for you. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You are saved, and no one can change that. No one can take you out of his hands. That's security. That's not an excuse to do whatever you want. Hey, I'm saved. I can live however I want, because if you're really saved, you're going to want to live in a way that pleases him. And the fruits of your life will show your salvation. Scripture's clear about that. 
But for those who are saved, when the troubles of life come, when the difficulties, when the challenges, when those battles we fight in everyday spiritual warfare, when we're faced with those things, we can always rest on the foundation, the security of knowing that we are His and no one can ever change that, including us. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus not love us. There's nothing we can do to erase our salvation because no one can take us out of his hands. Here's a truth that should comfort you. Your salvation is in his hands, limited only by his ability, and his ability is infinite. His ability is eternal. Nothing can change the status of your salvation. His commitment, his determination is eternal. The only catch, and there is a catch, the only catch is that you have to accept it. If you want eternal security, if you want salvation, all of what I've talked about, the wonderful counselor present and active in your life, if you want all of those things, he's not going to force himself on you. You have to accept it. You have to be willing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. William Sidney Porter was a writer who went by the pen name O. Henry. And he was convicted several years ago, many years ago, 1898. As a matter of fact, he was convicted of embezzling $784.08 from the bank that he worked at. Not a large amount, but he was convicted of this crime. Well, over the years, his writings have become more famous and fans of his throughout the years have, have asked for him to be pardoned on several occasions because they felt like, you know, he's got this one black mark on his, on his life and they, they want him to be pardoned. As a matter of fact, they've, they've from Presidents Woodrow Wilson uh, to Reagan, uh, even as recently as 2011, Barack Obama, they were... They, Fans of his have requested that he be pardoned. But here's the problem. He's dead now. You can't pardon a dead man. The reason is because in order for a pardon to become effective, what has to happen? Well, the person being pardoned has to actually accept it. Well, a dead man can't accept a pardon. So they can request all they want, but he's never going to be pardoned because he's not alive anymore. Another story, 1830, a man by the name of George Wilson. He was convicted of robbing the United States mail, which, serious crime, even more so then, he was sentenced to be hanged. Sentenced to be hanged. Well, Andrew Jackson tried to pardon him, but Wilson wouldn't accept the pardon. Don't know why, but he wouldn't accept the pardon. The case went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court Justice at the time, John Marshall, said this in response, his ruling. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person being pardoned. If it's refused, there is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. That was the result. Why? Because Wilson wouldn't accept the pardon. Here's the point. For some people, the pardon comes too late. For others, they refuse the pardon. Where are you today? Have you, Jesus is offering you a pardon for your sins. He's already paid for it. He gave his life. He became human. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a brutal death on the cross 
to pay the price that you could not pay. And he says, I'm giving you a pardon free and clear, free from sin, rescued, eternity with me in heaven. Will you accept the pardon? Or will you wait? Not knowing if this will be the last time. For some, it's too late. Some just refuse it. We sit here and we think, how could a man who's facing death by hanging nonetheless refuse having his life rescued? But how many people every day see Jesus face to face and refuse to have their lives rescued? Refuse his gift of salvation. Jesus says, it's yours if you want it. Only you have to accept it. None of what we've talked about today, we've talked about a lot, none of what we've talked about today means anything if Jesus is not your Savior. This whole concept of him being a wonderful counselor, you don't know his counselor if you don't know him. You don't know his counsel if you don't know him. You don't know him intimately as counselor if you don't know him. None of this applies unless salvation has been applied to you. If you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, knowing that you have security, knowing your King of Kings, knowing the God of the universe. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And his name is great. And he is wonderful counselor, the perfect counselor. If you know him as Lord and Savior, you know him as such. And one of my favorite hymns, I don't quote hymns very often, but one of my favorite ones says this, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Man, there's something amazing about the name of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, and we'll look at all the rest as the weeks unfold leading up to Christmas. But I'm going to leave you with this thought. Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor who offers everlasting life and everlasting love. I pray that you know him today. If not, I pray that you will accept him today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the salvation that you so freely give. You offer pardon to all of us for our sin if we will only accept it. But that is the condition. We have to be willing to accept salvation. You won't force yourself on us. We have to make a choice to invite you into our lives, to give our lives to you. And I pray that if there's somebody here in this room today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would accept that gift today, that they during this time of commitment will come and allow me to share with them how to make that most important decision, the decision to follow you, to accept salvation. For those of you that know you, for those of us that know you, I pray that we would accept your counsel, that we would invite it into our lives, that we would open ourselves up to your plan and your will and your direction, that we would follow your direction, submitting to you daily in your will, recognizing that we are imperfect and that we don't know all there is to know, that we can't trust our own guidance system. We need you to guide us and direct us each day. Lord, I pray that we would live lives of commitment and submission to you. Lord, there may be other decisions you're leading us to make, church membership, baptism, whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would follow you, that we would listen to your voice right now as you speak to our hearts and that we would respond.